Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Morning. This, this morning's sermon text is Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Let's pray together. Father God, you are our living hope. We pray this morning that you would tune our hearts to yours. God, let us hear once again the simplicity of the faith to which we've been called and silence all other voices that are constantly telling us that we must earn your love. God, thank you for the salvation that has been secured in Christ, that the work is finished and make us a people who walk in him, longing to reflect the love that we've experienced through you. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Patrick. This is our new table to hold my water, (laughs) right? 11 years I've set water on the ground. So if you're new, this is a big deal. Things change slow here. Um, So we've been walking through the book of Galatians, and here we are kicking off chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to hop online and listen. Matt Labasso preached, and he walked through a pretty hard text, but he made it so clear as Paul made this compelling argument for justification by faith alone. 
And this is really what Paul's writing this letter for. This is what he's been saying since the beginning because the Galatians were veering away from the very foundational truth of the gospel, from justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And that theme really isn't going to to change. Paul's just going to change up his argument a little bit, continuing to drive home this truth, coming from different angles. And if you remember from chapter 1, Paul made his astonishment at the Galatians' lack of faith very clear. And he was defending the gospel that he was preaching and the, the divine origins of his ministry saying that his authority and his teaching, which was the gospel, were neither through man or from man, but inspired by God himself. And now, here in chapter 3, Paul is kind of circling back to the astonishment at their unfaithfulness in turning from the one true gospel. And really, they're in turning from God himself. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul had said, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to another gospel. That was his opening astonishment. And now here in chapter 3, a little more pointed, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this term, fool, I think it, it loses some of its power in kind of modern linguistic culture. We throw around the words like, that was foolish, to describe simple variances from n- normal behavior. Silly, laughable mistakes that we later tell our friends, oh, I got spaghetti on my shirt. That was foolish. I stubbed my toe. Ah, oh, what a fool. But in biblical terms, to be a fool or to act foolishly was, was not a small thing. The, the fool is regularly portrayed as the antagonist to or opposite of a faithful believer. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's, that's not a small thing. That is God denying foolery. Or if you look at the book of Proverbs, it has endless things to say about fools. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools hate knowledge. The complacency of fools destroys them. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near. And when Jesus is pronouncing his woes to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, he addresses them with the words, you blind fools. Not a compliment. The term fool in scripture was not used lightly. It was synonymous with unbelief, or at the very least, the actions of an unbeliever. So I don't want you to miss the power of these words when Paul addresses people whom he loves, saying, you foolish Galatians, in verse 1. And then again in verse 3, are you so foolish? This is no small thing. It was an indictment. It was meant to startle and shake them from their slumber. And Paul's astonishment with the Galatians' spiritual treason is only made more clear and pointed when he tacks on, who has bewitched you? Right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This is the language of pagan magic. 
Quite literally, Paul is asking, has some pagan sorcerer cast a spell over you? And in a sense, this is exactly what has happened. Paul knew that these false teachers were the source of the anti-gospel message the Galatians were believing. But I think Paul was kind of pointing deeper to the root of their disbelief. I think he was pointing to the demonic influence that had lured them astray. Because the devil, the deceiver, is a liar and the father of lies. And the lies that they were believing were at their very core demonic. They were against the things of God, against the gospel of grace, and leading people away from saving faith. And the reason this is so unthinkable to Paul is because, as he says at the end of verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Before your very eyes. And the language here is a little odd. Paul is not saying that they physically saw Jesus crucified, but rather that, that he had laid out the truth of the gospel both publicly and with vivid clarity. And it, and it wasn't just a history lesson about the great teacher named Jesus. It wasn't just about morality and wisdom that Jesus taught. He explained Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sin. Before your very eyes, we laid out for you the saving work of Jesus through the cross, purchasing your redemption, and you believed it. You believed in him. And because of Christ's crucifixion, sinners can now be justified before God. The benefits of his crucifixion are forever available to those who trust in him. And what Christ accomplished has nothing to do with works of the law. This is what Paul has said time and again. And this is what the Galatians first believe. The gospel isn't good advice for men and women, but good news about Jesus. It's not an invitation to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. It's an offer to believe. It's not a demand. And there's nothing that can be added to the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is what's so troubling about the Galatians right now. What they once knew and professed had been perverted and corrupted. It's as though they were shackled in this, to the wall in the, the darkest hole of a dungeon and they were set free. And they walked around and they enjoyed their freedom. And then one day, they crawled back down into the dungeon and just chained themselves to the wall. It's, it's lunacy. And so you might hear this with good reason and, and ask, were, were these people ever really believers? That would be a really good question. Maybe they were like that seed that fell along the rocky path in Jesus' parable. Maybe faith never really took root. It was choked out. But I think Paul tells us otherwise. He's about to ask this string of rhetorical questions. And, and the first is, let me ask you this. Did you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So there's an assumption. They, they received the Spirit. Paul seems to be affirming that the Spirit indwells them, that they were true believers. 
And that's what makes all of this so difficult for Paul. And so so Paul's going to ask this string of questions to get to the absurdity of the Galatians turning from the gospel. And it's more of those rhetorical questions that Matt talked about last week. And he begins, as we just read, by saying, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Obviously, it was by hearing with faith. And then verse 3, Are you so foolish? Obviously, yes, you are so foolish. That's why I called you a fool two verses ago. You're foolish. Continuing in verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the law? No, that's absurd. Having been stirred by the Spirit and trusting in Christ with the Spirit now residing in you, are you now going to go back to the flesh to works of the law for your justification? It, it doesn't even make sense. That's Paul's point. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice in which they believe needs nothing added. And to try and add to the finished work of Christ is to nullify the finished nature of that very work. So to think now that their actions somehow save them makes no sense whatsoever. In verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. So not only did they have a true conversion experience, but it sounds like they were met with persecution. And in those early days of their faith, they suffered well in the face of opposition. Was that, was that suffering in vain? Paul asks. Once again, it's, it's rhetorical. Of course, suffering for the gospel, suffering for Christ is never in vain. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, or hearing with faith. Almost missed the hole in my cup. That would be embarrassing. So, does he who work, works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? What do you think this time? Works of the law? I mean, God just, God sent Jesus to suffer in our place. We trusted in him. He poured out his spirit into our hearts he tells us that by his divine power, we've been granted all things for life and godliness. Seems like a great time to revert back to righteousness through the law, right? Now that we've been emancipated from imminent judgment and death, let's go hang out in the dungeon. It's crazy. So Paul uses this string of rhetorical questions to highlight how absurd the Galatians' thinking was, the, the trajectory that they're on. What they believe or what they were believing and listening to was counter to the gospel. These Judaizers, Judaizers were trying to put them back into bondage and they were buying the deception. And so Paul goes right after the message of these Judaizers. Because if you remember, these Galatians, they're, they're Gentiles. 
They don't have the rich history or even that much knowledge of Judaism. And they have these self-proclaimed Jewish teachers telling them that if, if, if they want to be a part of God's family, a part of the children of God, they need to follow the law. They need to be circumcised. They need to do the right things. And Paul's like, hey, if you want to talk about the family of God, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. I hear you talking about the law of Moses, but let's just go several centuries early where everything began with Abraham. Moses may have been the beginning of the law, but Abraham was the beginning of the people of Israel altogether. So Paul really asks these rhetorical questions, pitting justification by faith up against justification by works to set them up for this phrase in verse six. It says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is a direct quote from Genesis 15, six. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is, this is a mic drop moment, right? I hear you people talking about the law of Moses. That's cool. I'm gonna drop some Abraham on you. Paul is illustrating the reality that Genesis doesn't say Abraham obeyed God and he counted it to him as righteous, righteousness. If it had said that, these Judaizers might have a case for the law. If it was Abraham's obedience that counted as righteousness, we all might have a lot of work to do. But that's not what Scripture says. Abraham believed God. And it was because of his faith in God that God counted him as righteous. And Paul drives this point home in verses seven through nine. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, over the next several weeks, Paul's gonna have a lot to say about the law and faith, as well as Abraham's part in all of this. He's gonna flesh out the, the purpose of the law and the curse of the law, the promises of God and the necessity of faith. So we're gonna take a deep dive into these things, but where I really want to drive things home this morning is the simple reality that from the beginning, salvation by faith was always the plan. Faith was always the plan. Because so many people read the Old Testament and think that the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ was like the backup plan, right? As if God tried the law, but that didn't work out. So he decided to send Jesus. Plan A was a bust, let's move to plan B. But that's not the case. Grace was always the plan. Faith was always the way to righteousness. That's the point that Paul is making. 
It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. As we'll discuss more in the coming weeks, before the law ever came into existence, God declared a promise of grace that through Abraham all nations would be blessed. The Gentiles were always part of the plan. Long before the law ever came into being, God proclaimed the gospel to Abraham. That is, the grace of God being extended to all nations through faith. This was the plan from the very beginning. The law, as we will discuss, did have a purpose, but the law was never the point. The law was never the means to righteousness. This is why the greatest commandment, the commandment that encompasses the entirety of the law, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. It's the greatest commandment in the law is love. It's the posture of our hearts towards God. And to love God with all our heart means that we trust him, we hope in him, that we look to him, the God who made us and called us and sent his son to die in our place. The God whose whose plan of redemption, though veiled in the Old Testament, was made manifest in Christ. He says, I have made a way for you through Jesus. The work is finished. The price is paid. All that's left to do is believe by faith in the saving work of Jesus and follow him. This is the very core of the gospel. Salvation is by faith not by works. But this is also the truth that our flesh will battle until the day we die. It will. Our flesh constantly calls us to prove ourselves, to show ourselves worthy, to justify ourselves. This was the struggle the Galatians were facing. Faith seems too simple. Their flesh wanted tangible actions that they could point to, that they could look at, that they could glory in. But here's the intrinsic problem with this. Rule following or law following makes us the point, right? It shines the light on our achievements and our merit and our righteousness. But love and faith They make God the object of our affection and hope. They shine the spotlight of our lives on him rather than ourselves. And so we need faith. Be careful. We need faith. We need the spirit to increase our faith. We need to believe in the depth of our being that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. 
And the greatest chapter in all of Scripture that, that ties this faith that we've been called to in the New Testament with all that we read about in the Old Testament is Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And then it goes on to talk about the faith of Abel and Enoch and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And then in verse 8, it expounds on the faith of Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring be named. Shall your offspring be named? He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Are you getting the faith point here? This is how off the Judaizers were. And this was the message Paul was trying to get through to the Galatians. Salvation has always been by faith. Faith has always been the point. It was faith in God's grace when you first believe. It was faith that sustains you through the persecution. And it is only by faith that you will persevere to the end. And I just want to keep rolling in Hebrews because it is awesome and powerful. In verse 32 it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. That's faith. This is the rich legacy of faith that we are now a part of. These stories of imperfect people who were bold in faith, 
who experienced amazing triumph and endured unimaginable persecution. This is what we've been called into, a deep, rich trust in God. And for us, the mystery has been revealed. All of these people in the Old Testament trusted that God would make a way. They believed that God would make a way. But we have seen the way. And that way is a person. Jesus has been revealed. God's plan of redemption is no longer veiled. And so, having laid out this compelling image of the faith of those who went before us, the writer of Hebrews brings us back to Jesus at the beginning of chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of those who have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I feel like Paul could have written those words to the Galatians. This Jesus, who before your very eyes was publicly portrayed as crucified, who endured the cross, despising its shame, he is the founder and perfecter of your faith. Look to him, trust him, believe him. And that's my prayer for us this morning that God would show us all the ways that we try and justify ourselves by our own actions. All the ways we try and gauge our value or our worth by what we do or by comparing with others and that we would see the foolishness of our ways. That we would know without a shadow of a doubt that salvation belongs to God. We've been set free from the bondage of the law or performance or building something to justify our existence and that we would look to Jesus, that we would run the race with endurance, that we would stop grasping at things in the world to define us and experience the supernatural rest that is offered when we trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, this is our prayer. That you, the author and perfecter of our faith, would increase that very faith. That we would have an unwavering confidence in the finished work of Jesus, leading us to experience the joy and peace of your presence. God, making us a people who proclaim your glory and salvation both when times are great and when we struggle, when we suffer because we are citizens of an eternal kingdom, God. Living our lives on this earth for your glory while we await a day where you will make all things new as you have promised. God, we praise you this morning. 
Amen. Praise God from whom Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Go in peace.